IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. And if you're one of those people like Kirsten and I who find yourself using words like sustainability and environmental and conservation, all these kinds of things in your business on a daily-to-day basis, then you're going to love our interview today with our guest, Mason Arnold. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And Kirsten, as we've been talking about these environmental sustainability, even good governance of companies, small startup companies and entrepreneurs are right in the midst of this conversation, aren't they? I think they are the conversation, Mm -hmm. pushing the larger corporations to do the right things. That's my fundamental belief, but I think it's the entrepreneurs and the startups that are revolutionizing our future. Well, let's take off there, Mason. You know, you're a serial entrepreneur, and I love this little tagline, just trying to make the world a better place. Well, (laughs) tell me about your company and your efforts. Well, what I'm focused on right now is a company called MostlyGreen.Life, and we're a media company. We have a podcast as well and a YouTube channel, and we're trying to make sustainability more fun and approachable. We love the eco-warriors out there, but we do think there's a bit of a voice missing for those of us kind of in the middle who want to do right by the planet, but are not always perfect and don't want to live in a yurt out in the woods. (laughs) Wait, no yurt? (laughs) (laughs) I like to stay in a yurt every now and then out in the woods, but not into living it. So we like to explore sustainability and conservation and health and wellness from a perspective of you know, kind of 80% there and taking baby steps and that if we all take baby steps together, then that ends up being a huge change if we get a lot of people together taking those baby steps. So we're more into the baby steps and understand two steps forward, one step back. um, And then, you know, just trying to have fun along the way too. And I guess in your own leadership, I love your title. You're mostly chief of mostly green. You've got to build the team around you, don't you? That's right. That's right. (laughs) I only tell us what to do some of the times. (laughs) I love that. And I guess that's, you know, in Kirsten and I's uh, interest here on the podcast is is how you develop that leadership uh, as a calling rather than an org chart, you know, rather than a top-down command and control, but rather that you're attracting the talent or you're attracting the supporters. Yeah, and I think it's really crucial to be authentic. And the a lot of people get into these leadership positions and think they have to turn into someone else. Now, you certainly need to learn skills about how to manage people and about how to, you know, act on vision and such. But when it comes to creating a really high-performing team, I think you have to be authentic and attract the people that work well with who you are already instead of trying to be someone else. Hmm. Can you say a little bit more about like, what do you mean? What's the distinction by trying to be somebody else in a personality suite in particular that would somebody who might be in one of your companies, right? Yeah. You know, and there's always this, there's a, I think there's a tension when leading a group of people 
of being a friendly leader, but not necessarily being their friends. And there's always, there's this pull and you can, you know, go and, and hang out and have a good time with your team, but still there's always this understanding that there is, you know, a leadership team and everyone has accountability for what they need to do, but also understanding uh, for me, like understanding my own personality and that I am lighthearted. I'm not great at structure and creating structure for others around me. So I often need to attract people to create those structures. But the folks that uh, come and choose to work with me know that I'm not the one to provide a ton of structure, that I like to provide vision and direction and resources but I'm not a great coach. I'm not going to have a ton of meetings with them to help them achieve what they need to do. I like to make sure to have clear expectations, but if they need help achieving their expectations, then we go out and find them a mentor or a coach or something. And so that's kind of part of it, just really understanding your myself and my own leadership style and knowing that some people, while they look like are very high performers and could be high performers in other organizations. They may not thrive under my leadership. That's a great distinction. I really love how you highlighted, you know, how your personality style really requires a certain personality to be with you in building the right team. And a lot of your background uh, and focus is around food and the food ecosystem, including, you know, growing it, packaging it, getting it through the uh, supply chain, but also then what's the waste uh, part of it and in, in the sustainability. What, what's your, uh, I guess, why that focus and how has that been brought tighter and tighter for you? Yeah, so I can back up a little bit to answer that fully. I was trained as a chemical engineer at the University of Texas and went to work for oil and chemical companies filing permits with the Texas Environmental Board called the TCEQ. And pretty quickly, I was seeing firsthand what was being dumped into the environment, how many chemicals were being dumped and the, the massive quantities that were being dumped. And it was making me sick. And I was seeing reports come across my desk that showed the damage that was being done to the environment. And one day, two reports came across my desk, one that said organic residential fertilizers were superior to chemical fertilizers in every way that they could measure short-term, long-term, greener lawn, healthier lawn, every metric that they had, organic fertilizers were better. And then the second report said that the number one pollutant to Texas waterways was uh, chemical residential fertilizers. And so I started to, I was like, something is off here. I don't understand what's going on. And so I go out to research it and I go to my local Home Depot to look at the fertilizers. And there's a, a representative from the chemical fertilizer company saying, hey, come look at all these fertilizers. I know exactly how to make your lawn as green as you want it to be. And so that's when I realized it was really about marketing. And so I started my first company, which was environmentally responsible landscaping and uh, grew that and did well with that over the course of a couple of years, developed a, a philosophical conflict with lawns as I started to learn more about the environment. But as I dug into sustainability, I felt like there were three big pillars that we as society need to solve is energy, water, and food. And if we solve those three, so many other things really tend to take care of themselves. Okay. And food in particular consumes more potable water than any other activity in the US. 
and almost as much energy as all of our cars going around. So if you solve food, the food system, you actually dramatically help the energy and water issues that we have going on as well. So that's oh, when I decided I was going to spend my career in food and first started in distribution. I had a, a small kind of secondary distribution model that worked with local and organic farmers to and direct home delivery long before grocery delivery had really taken off. And then I decided I wanted to dig deeper into agriculture and started a, a product company where we took fresh vegetables and turned them into pasta called CC's VeggieCo. I invented some machinery, leaned back on my engineering to do that. And we grew that as a national organization. And so I still, and a new project that has just launched is an upcycled food waste company where we're taking restaurant kitchen scraps and upcycling it into dog food called the conscious pet. Love that. That's amazing. So a question for you, because I, I know my daughters and I always question this, right? We have these very large store chains, you know, food store chains, and they are not donating the food at the end of the day, it goes right into the garbage and their policy is to not donate it. <coughs> Albertsons, sorry, I had to like just kind of put that in, right? And I've always wondered, what what's the gain there? What is that about? That is actually, it's not about a gain, it's about a loss and a liability. And so there, as of 2016, however, I think it was 2016, maybe 2012, at a national level, level, there was a Good Samaritan law passed where if you, as long as you have stored the food properly and there's nothing dangerous about it, you are released of all liability from donating that to a soup kitchen or giving it to homeless people or doing whatever besides throwing it away. Prior to that, there were people, organizations that got sued for giving away food and then people got sick with that food. And so, you know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, evil or it, it's just trying to avoid that liability, but now there's no excuse. And so if you go into any grocery store at this point and you see them, straight up throwing away food, you know, go tell them, be like, you don't have to do this anymore. Go give it to the soup kitchen, give it to farmers as compost. At my last company, CC's, we created a dramatic amount of uh, food byproduct, the little, the tips and tails of the product that we were cutting and then stuff that wasn't uh, able to go into the retail product. We were generating a quarter million pounds a week of vegetable kind of byproduct. And the entire time I was running that organization, I sold it last year, I was trying to figure out how to reduce, how to, to upgrade where that uh, vegetable material was going. Lowest common denominator for me was a compost pile. We were a zero waste company. Everything went to compost that we couldn't process. But then I was trying to find, okay, how do, can we get it into animals' mouths? And then can we get it into human mouths? And what is the highest value we can find for that byproduct? And in the end, it was we were still just being drowned in it because there weren't enough companies out there that we were upcycling uh, food products and putting them back out on the market. A guy named Dan uh, Kershock uh, founded the Upcycled Food Association in America. He has a company called Regrain. And so he has really... Um, helped build this idea that we can take food waste and and turn it back into valuable products again. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a big part of the conscious pet is we feel like there's so much waste out there 
and trying to reduce that waste is a really great way to impact sustainability across all factors of it. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that for a second, Conscious Pat. Love the name, first of all. And because nice. uh, I, I know my pet, uh, Kirsten knows uh, my <laughs> wife and family and my pet family, uh, gives us a lot of consciousness <laughs> all the way around. Well, both my pets. How can, both, I, leave, yeah. how can yeah. I leave the cat out? You can't um, do not leave Twisty <laughs> out of this picture. Okay, Jenny, we'll throw us both out. Okay. You Your right. cat's name is Twisty? Twisty, because he's twisty. quite a that's twisted awesome. cat. Well, the, that's a whole episode in and of itself. It's the yeah, cat episode. Yeah. yeah. But Mason, tell us about forming now a new company. I mean, look, I, I looked down your LinkedIn profile and there's 72, you know, entries of all the places and all the organizations you've started. So you're you're a startup instigator, activator, you know, kind of a guy. I can only imagine your strength finders profile. Um, <laughs> what, what is it about starting the company that, that gives you the rush? Yeah. So for me, and this took a, a while to learn and, you know, have companies as I've grown them, you know, I've always ended up in them too long. And as I would bring in leaders to then take over and see how much better they do, I'm like, oh, I should have done that earlier. And I really, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by sustainability and I am motivated by this, this zero to one kind of spark. And I actually, I really, I consider myself an artist. I love art. And to me, I just, it just happened that commerce ended up being my canvas. And so I love to start things that weren't there in the world before and then the thing that gives me the most fulfillment is getting validation of something that didn't exist before and people saying, I, where has this been all my life? And I, I'm so excited that this is here now. And to me, that's one of my favorite parts of life in general. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I love that you say this because I do work with a lot of leaders, conscious leaders, and people have to know what they're good at and not good at. As we started the discussion before, and many visionaries also then want to move into leading and don't know to pull back, right? Yeah. <laughs> pull out and go and do what you do well, which is innovate, go create, innovate, but bring in the right people who are really bred to do that. And there is an ego deflation that has to occur in that gap. So how long did it take you to find that balance? Because that's a big awareness. Yeah. You know, my, uh, first company or you know, call it my third company, Greenling, the, the food distribution did that for 10 years. And it was, it was really hard, low margin home, a combination of a grocery company, a logistics company, and an on e-commerce company all rolled into one before there were tools for a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Our first delivery map was a paper map on the wall. And we'd put pins of where we were going and, and just eyeball the routes. So it was really hard. And over time, you know, I, I, I thought I did want to be that leader and that I wanted to take it all the way, you know, like John Mackey and Whole Foods. He was a leader for, I don't know, 40 years or something. And then when I finally, I had a disagreement with investors and we couldn't agree. And I, they, I, you know, I didn't necessarily want to, but I decided to step aside to let them, they would continue to invest if I stepped aside and found a leader to replace me. And within a couple of months, 
he, I could tell immediately that he was better than I was at leading the organization and making those choices of how to uh, maximize and cut particular costs and things. And everything that I was always focused on was like the big rocks and the, you know, the revolutionary things and getting us to that next level. And I could just see that I was not good at that leadership aspect. And then not long after that, it was while I was out of that, deciding what I was going to do next, knew I still need to do entrepreneurship. You mentioned the strengths finder test and my profile, when I first got it, I hated it. I was like, I'm unemployable. And <laughs> I was complaining about it to one of my mentors. And he's like, this, you are an entrepreneur, Mason. You have to be an entrepreneur with this. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I, cause that was after one failure. And at the time I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I mean, but many of us entrepreneurs, that's why yeah. we are entrepreneurs. We yeah. are unemployable. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly. My, my strength finder, I was told I would eat my young if they're in my way, you know, <laughs> it doesn't that sound so a- good on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a hard one to put in ink and <laughs> not go to jail. <laughs> and then I had another test through a group that I was a part of, and it was a disc profile, but they went a little bit deeper and it was a room full of. of so what are you on the disc profile for those that don't know? Uh, so I'm a, I'm a high I with some D and then I forget the how the others, yeah, but then there was this yeah, and there's a deeper thing where they go into different motivators. And I was in a room with 80 entrepreneurs and he was calling out a couple of, he did like three or four typical profiles and people would keep their hands raised. And one of them, you know, was like 40 people and one of them was like 20. And then he gets to this one and and lots of people are standing up as he goes through like political and these different factors. And then he was like, and, and you're not motivated by money. And, and almost everyone sat down. And then one was like, art, your art is, you know, far more interesting to you than, um, you know, commerce or something like that. And everyone sat down except me. And I was the only one in this room of 80 people standing. And he goes, that right there, people is an innovator. <laughs> and I was like, all right. I guess that's, <laughs> I can't get more clear than that. That's right. Literally the last one standing. The last <laughs> one standing. But it also gave me a little bit of a crisis as an entrepreneur. I was running a company at that time and I was like, wait, I'm not an entrepreneur. Like, what am I doing hanging out with entrepreneurs all the time when I'm not an entrepreneur? And it, yeah, I got depressed for a little while. And then I'm like, you know what? That I think it really solidifies that while this startup phase of things is zero to one and just initially getting it off the ground is usually extremely far from the payout and often one of the highest risk parts of the company. I was like, that's what I'm resigned to do. Like I know that my (laughs) career will be built around creating brand new things and it's where I'm the happiest. Yeah. It's a a zero to one factor is the key. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Well, we've enjoyed talking with you so much, Mason. And before we ask our final question, I want to make sure people know where to find you and how to connect with you, your work, your programs. Yeah. So I think the best way is the website, mostlygreen.life. And on there, we have contact form, newsletter, send a note. Those all come directly to me and Jess, my co-founder as well. And then the Conscious Pet is based in Austin, Texas. And so if you happen to live in Austin, look up the Conscious Pet dot life and get some really amazing dog food. 
Wonderful. And to pick up on your thought of you know, blending or reconciling art and commerce, I wanted to talk a little bit about profit and planet. You know, we're talking about what we can do to save the earth. But at the same time, entrepreneurs, they have to raise money, make mm -hmm. money. You know, Wall Street wants you to make money. How do you reconcile that? Uh, and again, I guess, folding in your life purpose here, you know, to be the innovator. But how, how do you blend those two or balance those two? Yeah, well, it's a, I, you consider it a daily, you know, struggle. And there is, I generally fell, fall a little bit towards the line of if it doesn't make money, then you're not doing the world any good. And so there's lots of, you know, you get these purists, in sustainability or environmental entrepreneurs and their companies can't grow because they're not willing to make that early sacrifice to grow the company with the non-ideal packaging or know that you are putting carbon into the atmosphere to distribute your products. And as companies grow, then it becomes easier to solve a lot of those problems. And so I think profit is, a, is an integral part of commerce. And even as an artist, I know that profit is part of the art and it is designing a company that's doing good for the world and is able to sustain itself and do good for the stakeholders. On the flip side of that, you know, taking outside money, I know from the get-go that there's an inherent conflict of interest with investors that do not are not public benefit corporations themselves. And their ROI is what they have been entrusted that money for. And so there will always be that tension between the ROI for the investors and what's best for the planet and sometimes for the business. And managing that tension to me, I think is a really important part of growing a good company. I love that. So Mark, here's our tagline, right? That to wrap up our show is profit is part of the art in managing the tension. Love that. Those yeah. two lines, I love those. Yeah, and I love how even taking opting, co-opting the word sustainability. It's like, yes, sustainability for the environment for, or for the business enterprise as well, because you have yep. to sustain both. Yeah, love, triple love. bottom bottom line. Yes, <laughs> well, terrific. Well, our guest has been Mason Arnold from Austin. He is mostly the chief, but he's definitely the co-founder of MostlyGreen.Life and I'm now a new company, ConsciousPet.Life. My other takeaway is what a terrific suffix and domain is dot life. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to go after IntelliKey dot life. Uh, let's, let's get that before it's taken. I'm on it. I'm yeah. on it. <laughs> Mason, can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing your passion and your energy. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and yeah, good luck in you. all these ventures. And thanks. listeners, come back again for our next episode. Kirsten and I will continue talking to conscious leaders like Mason Arnold as we are listening for how people are pursuing not only their business goals, but also their life's purpose, their soul's potential. And that's what IntelliKey is all about. So until next time, for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson for IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories.
This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.